0: This podcast is brought to you by bankinfosecurity.com. Bankinfosecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. As recent industry finds prove, regulators are putting pressure on financial institutions of all asset sizes to step up their BSA compliance investments. And that means a stronger emphasis on KYC controls as well as SARS filings. With so many regulatory demands coming in from different angles, How are financial institutions balancing their investments, ensuring that they get the so-called most bang for their buck? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Nancy O'Donnell, Vice President of Compliance and Risk for Thomaston Savings Bank, a Connecticut community bank with $676 million in assets. Nancy, thanks for being with us today. Why don't we start off by having you tell our audience a little bit about Thomaston Savings Bank?
1: Okay, well, thanks for inviting me, Tracy. Uh, Thompson Savings Bank is a fairly small mutual savings bank. Uh, we were chartered in 1874, and we currently have nine branches um, soon to open our tents um, in the first quarter of next year, and we have just under 150 employees.
0: And relative to all of the regulatory compliance mandates that Thomaston is focused on, why did the Bank Secrecy Act and why did compliance with AML raise concerns for the bank?
1: Well, it seems that the regulators often have kind of like their flavor of the month Um, when they come in to do a compliance exam. um, You never know exactly what they're going to look at. Sometimes it might be Honda. Sometimes it might be, um, you know, another lending compliance regulation. But it's always BSA and anti-money laundering. Every time the regulators come in, that's still one of their priorities. Um, And as long as it's a regulatory priority, it's definitely going to be a priority with the bank.
0: Now, we've noticed that the industry has recently seen some pretty steep fines coming down on banks for non-compliance with certain BSA and U.S. Patriot Act mandates for suspicious activity reporting. Of course, a lot of these fines have come down on the larger institutions. Where did Thomaston see gaps in its own SARS and KYC's controls? And I guess I'd like to ask Nancy, as a smaller institution, do you see the perspective of regulators changing a bit?
1: know that their perspective has changed, uh, they've, they've always been pretty thorough in coming out and looking at our controls and, and how we process things. I think our biggest gap um, is the reliance that we have on our branches to detect and report suspicious activity. Uh, they do pretty well with the know-your-customer controls. Um, usually when you're in a branch, you see the same folks over and over, um, so they, get to, they really do know their customers. Um, The hard part is identifying suspicious activities. Sometimes I I get the feeling that the branches don't think anything is really suspicious, and part of that is because they don't get the chance to see the whole picture. They're really only seeing what's happening at their particular branch.
0: Now, you've noted that the bank was frustrated with limitations when it came to the existing kind of static or rules-based compliance software that you had been using. Can you tell us how the limitations that you were talking about uh, basically we're allowing certain suspicious activity or different things to slip through the cracks.
1: The first problem that we were having with the rules-based um, software was we were getting too many false positive cash reports. Um, there are sometimes when a teller is processing, say, a split type of transaction, and it might, to a, you know, a software, look like a cash report when it truly isn't, and it was taking us a lot of time and energy to sort through all of these false false reports and trying to determine what really happened. Um, And the other problem was trying to identify who our higher-risk customers are. We were getting reports um, showing that we had more than 200 high-risk customers. And for a bank our size and in our location, that's just not realistic. Um, We're probably looking at about 70 higher-risk customers as opposed to more than 200.
0: Right. And you had also talked about the paper trail of spreadsheets, How could financial institutions do better jobs of automating AML solutions so that this manual review of so many spreadsheets is no longer
1: part of the equation? Well, by using um, anti-money laundering software that's not rules-based and and can almost like think for you, um, that really helps to eliminate the spreadsheets. We currently have one spreadsheet that we are using right now, and the only reason we still have that spreadsheet is because for so long – we were not collecting the right information from our customers and entering it into our core system so that we could accurately assess risk. So now we're kind of keeping this spreadsheet and working on getting everything into our core so that an intelligent system can um, work more effectively for us.
0: And tell us, Nancy, a bit about how the bank initiated this change in its AML practices and the solutions that it now uses. How long did it take to move from this manual process to a more automated process?
1: Uh, It took us, I would say, just over a year. Um, And what started the process for us was we were using um, a software in conjunction with all of our spreadsheets, um, and our core provider notified us that they would no longer be supporting that AML product. Um, they were planning to migrate us over to their new solution. So at that time, I really viewed that as an opportunity to move forward and get away from the spreadsheets and all the manual processing.
0: And what about the review of different vendors and what ultimately pushed you from a primarily manual process to a more automated one?
1: Well, the first thing I did um, was I looked at the solution that our core provider was offering to us. Uh, I just thought that would be the easiest to implement, Um, After reviewing their demo, I was really less than excited about their product, and I didn't feel that it was going to help us migrate away from the manual process. So I started talking. I belonged to a statewide compliance association, and I reached out to some of the different members to see what they were using, and surprisingly enough, a lot of them are still using manual spreadsheets. Um, But the last time our examiners were in, they commented how difficult it must be to really be on top of things by using that manual spreadsheet. It was even a little difficult for them to understand what I was doing by laying out all these spreadsheets on a table for them. So that kind of prompted me to, to see that I needed to have a better solution, something that was going to be easier to manage. Um, around the same time, we got some marketing information from um, Verifint, so we arranged a demo with them, and we were really happy with what we saw. And um, it, it, So it, it took take us just over a year to get it all implemented where we felt comfortable with it.
0: Now, I want to ask you a little bit about what made the solution that you decided to go with different. And perhaps part of the answer is going to come from the response to this question. We've talked quite a bit recently in the industry about the advantages that new AML solutions offer to banks and credit unions when it comes to integrating AML and fraud detection. Now, Thomaston has actually integrated its AML and fraud departments to some degree. Can you give us some background about how the new solution that you've invested in is allowing you to do that?
1: Well, their new solution tracks both anti-money laundering and fraud Um, We used to have it in two separate departments, but we overlap in so many ways. Um, A lot of times when people are being involved in some type of money laundering, they may be perpetrating other types of fraud. Um, So it was so important for the two departments to be sharing information and constantly be in communication. So we actually ended up combining the two departments since we now have this one software that is tracking everything. So it just it puts the whole picture right in front of you instead of trying to pick pieces from different people.
0: Right. And I was going to ask how the technology allowed you to marry these two departments. And I'm wondering, Nancy, if you see your situation as being different from perhaps a larger institution, would it be difficult for a larger institution to bring these two departments together in a similar way?
1: I don't think it really would. Um, it's, everything is there in one place. You might need, a bigger institution would probably have multiple people reviewing the um, the software, but you can still cross-reference so easily, because everything is just right there in, in one software. You don't have to be logging in and out and going and, and checking in different places. Um, we, we have the capability to detect potential money laundering, debit card fraud, check hiding, new account fraud, all in one place. So... Um, I think whether it's a big bank or a small bank, having it all right there just makes it easier to manage.
0: Right, that makes sense. And we talk so much about the investment that goes behind some of these solutions that it's very costly, and some institutions just don't think they're going to get the return on investment. Do you expect, though, to see or experience some type of cost reduction now that AML and fraud detection are better integrated?
1: I do. I was um, Actually, I was looking to add staff to my department to better manage all of these pieces, the fraud and the AML. Um, but now that I have this, um, everything combined in the one software, we can devote our resources to other avenues, such as managing new regulations.
0: And finally, Nancy, before we close, what final thoughts would you like to leave our audience with generally?
1: I just, I, I feel like I'm operating so much more efficiently now with this combined solution. Um, I'm more comfortable that we're not missing any potential suspicious or fraudulent activity, and uh, it's, it's just made my job a lot easier.
0: Nancy, I want to thank you again for your time today.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Again, we've just heard from Nancy O'Donnell, Vice President of Compliance and Risk for Thomaston Savings Bank. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research and educational webinars, please visit www.bankinfosecurity.com.